So we're in a series on uh, the family, and um, we're looking at marriage, family, and God's blueprint for godly marriages and, and godly homes. And recently, most recently in our series, uh, we've seen that God rewards faithfulness in parental living, not perfection. God rewards faithfulness in parental living, not perfection. And so I have intentionally sort of spent a couple weeks laying a, a groundwork or a framework for how we think about parenting. And you guys are kind of like, I'm ready for the list. Well, some part of a list is going to come today, but don't just look for the list because as you'll see, there's so much that undergirds and supports any kind of list that we would put together. Don't ever just live for the list. Uh, live to love God in the way that he's modeled for us, in the way that he's saved us to live. Why? Well, we want to live for his glory because of who he is as God. If, according to our own perspective, God never did anything good for us, which is, of course, anything but the truth, God deserves all of our praise. Undevoted lives, or I should say wholly devoted lives for the Lord. Because of who he is, because of what he has done, because he has done many great and glorious things for us. And as we remember what God has done in the past, it's really the, the, the fuel for faith in future grace, that God will give us everything that we need as we seek to live for him. And because of what he has promised to do, which I kind of just summarized there. So this means our goal, our goal is to worship God, to glorify him in your life and in mine as a parent, first and foremost, before you think about parenting. In other words, you say, Lord, I'm yours. I'm yours. You made me, you redeemed me, and I want to live for you as a, as a husband or as a wife and as a father or as a mother, as a parent, Lord, I'm yours. All that I am, all that I do, may it be done for you and for the sake of your name, for your glory. So use me however you see fit. That's kind of a dangerous prayer. I mean, it's not like God needs your permission, so let's just kind of get that out of the way. He's going to use you how he sees fit. But you know how it is with your parents, I mean, with your kids sometimes. Say, listen, this is happening. So it's just going to be just jump in the stream, jump in the current of working with me as your parent, and it's just going to be better for everybody, especially you. <laughs> Similarly, as Christians, as God's people, we, we want to jump in the stream, jump in the current of where God is working, because it's, it's just going to be better for us. Why? Because we're afraid of God? No. Although we do have a healthy fear of God. But why? Because God is good. Everything that God does is good. And so we, we're just, our lives are better when we put ourselves in God's current and say, Lord, I'm here. I'm here. Move me where you will. Use whatever you need to in my life to shape me into the man or woman that you are calling me to be. This morning we're going to see that we are called to model God's love by bringing our children up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, we touched on the beginning of this verse, Ephesians 6, 4, says fathers, it's addressed fathers here, but it applies equally to mothers in terms of um, 
how we're to live with our kids. But fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. We spent our time last week in that section of this verse. But bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You might have a translation that says the fear and admonition of the Lord, right? So following this negative command, do not provoke your children to anger is a positive command, but there's a contrast. Rather than provoking them to anger or living in such a way that provokes them to anger, do this. Live in a way where you are uh, bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord or the fear and admonition of the Lord. In other words, don't live that way. Live this way, right? So we're looking at how God has called us to model his love by bringing up our children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, parents, fathers in particular, rightly motivated discipline is an expression of love. Rightly motivated discipline is an expression of love. And I want to suggest that for a Christian parent, rightly motivated discipline is not simply for what you think is best for the child. And just let that sink in for a second. Rightly motivated discipline as a Christian parent is not simply what you think is best for the child, but rather what God says is best for you and your children. It's not subjective, though some aspects of life can be subjective. But objectively, God tells us this is the way to live. The book of Proverbs, I'll say this later in my message, the book of Proverbs says basically in the beginning, teach your son how to live like a wise person rather than a foolish person. In other words, it's not sinful to tell your child you're living, this is foolish. You're, you're being a fool. Not in a derogatory sense, right? We're not just walking around and calling people names. But we're helping them see with the right tone and with the right motive, son, this is foolish living. Daughter, honey, this is foolish living. And it will not mean good things for you. But walk in the way of the Lord, which will bring life and an internal and eternal joy that can never be taken from you. So the, 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 the letter to the Ephesian church is much more than you might think of 10 ways to live for Christ. Uh, Ephesians is about the way that God brings people who don't naturally want to work together, how he brings them together. They're usually opposed to each other, but they learn how to work with one another, moving in the same direction. And this can be true of husbands and wife. We don't naturally, you know, we don't naturally work super awesome together all the time. This can be true of parents and children. Sometimes our goals are going in the opposite directions. Employers, employees, people from different nations and different tribes. And so Paul is writing this letter to help, help all of these people groups, all of these people in their varying roles, see how God has made it possible for them to move together, to work together. It's not just about compromise. There's a, there's, a, there's a way that it's made possible where before it wasn't. And if you remember, church family, about two years ago, we went through the book of Ephesians. 
But because I think the book, the context, what we call the immediate context or the closest text around what we're looking at, really helps bolster what we're trying to say today. And it's really my first point. What I'm going to do is I have paraphrased the book of Ephesians. And, and so I'm going to ask you to bear with me as we summarize the book of, of Ephesians. I did this in paragraph form, and I didn't try to edit it a lot. I just wanted to lay out what the, the main thrust and flow of Ephesians is. Now, some of you are visual learners, and it will kill you if this is not on the screen. So we're going to put it on the screen for you. Some of you are auditory learners, in which case you might want to just close your eyes and sit back and listen. If you have your Bible, it's always great to have your Bible open so that you see that what I'm saying flows out of the text of Scripture. So Ephesians 1 is where we're going to start as Paul encourages the church in these many important truths. Now, I'm going to give you a preview and... Uh, Where I'm leading into is that rightly motivated discipline is an expression of love. I think I already said that, but I forgot. And so I want you to see how we see God's love here and how that motivates us in what we do. All right, so here we go. I praise God for giving us every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places since God is bringing everything together in Christ. He's brought you from death in your trespasses and sins or your, your old manner of life to make you, or as he's making us alive in Christ, as a trophy of God's grace by which you have been saved, which is not your own doing, but it's God's gift. And God did this because he created you to live out good works that he prepared for you before the foundation of the world. Not only has he saved many Jewish people, God is saving Gentiles, and he's, he's bringing everyone who is redeemed or is a Christian together in Christ giving us a relationship with our Heavenly Father through the Spirit because of the work of Jesus on the cross. What God is doing through this gospel of salvation or this good news is an incredible mystery. So much so that I'm willing to suffer for it. So don't be discouraged. I'm suffering for Christ, which is actually for your good and for your glory. In fact, I'm praying daily for you. Moment by moment, by moment that God will, will grant you or give you the gift of being strengthened with power through His Spirit so that your faith will be strong and resilient, rooted, grounded in His love so that you may be able to know how very much God loves you in Christ. And that you will believe that He's able to do much more, far much more than you can ever imagine because of His power, which is working in you, has no end. Praise God for this. So, as, as a willing servant of the Lord, one who's given my life for Jesus, the one who has given his life for us, friends, live in a way that is worthy of your calling as Christians. How? Well, humbly, gently, patiently, bearing with one another in love, eagerly working for the unity of the Spirit. Live in such a way that is worthy of your calling as Christians, since you though you've had very different life experiences, have been given the same grace of God. And since God has given apostles and prophets and evangelists and shepherds and pastors and teachers to equip you for this great ministry, 
which is really to build up the body of Christ to mature manhood. In other words, we're no longer living as children, carried about by every wind of false doctrine, but we're being grown up into Christ. Continue in this teaching, speaking God's truth to one another in love. Don't go back to your old ways of living. It's like running through a forest with a blindfold on. Don't do it because God's spirit is taken off your blindfold so that you can see. I mean, why on earth would you put it back on? So in every way that's not living in a manner worthy of the good news of salvation and new life, take, off, take it off. Take off that thought. Take off that action. And renew your mind with the word of God and the help of the spirit of God. And then put on your new self created after Christ, created after God's likeness and true righteousness and holiness. And since you have God within you now, as a Christian, you, through the Holy Spirit, imitate him as a beloved child. Follow Jesus' example of sacrificial love. Don't let anyone make you think the mantra YOLO or you only live once means you should spend it foolishly. It's true, though. You only live once, so live as a child of light. Live with the same love that Christ Jesus has loved you with, sacrificing your own desires for what's best for others according to what God says is best. And be really careful how you walk. Be really careful how you live to make the best of it for God's glory. Others... Others fill themselves and, uh, with, with other terrible substances. But you fill yourself with the Spirit of God so that you can talk to one another with Scripture and even sing to one another psalms and hymns and, and spiritual songs. Since God has brought the worst of enemies together in Christ, you who are also in Christ should give preference to one another out of reverence for Jesus, your Lord. Wives, submit to and honor your husband since according to God's plan, he is like Christ, however imperfectly, but Christ is the head of the church. And husbands, love your wife in a, such a selfish and sacrificial way that, that you might, by God's grace, lead her and present her to Christ holier than when you met because you're leading her in the word and with your life. As you two have become one flesh, living as one, being as <clears throat> committed as to each other as Jesus is to the church. How crazy is it that we get to model for the world what the relationship between Christ and his church is? So husbands, love your wives like you automatically love yourselves. And wives... Respect your husbands. Now, children, obey your parents in the Lord. It's just, it's the right thing to do. Honor your mom and dad, and generally speaking, your life's going to be better for it. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. Don't try to do this on your own strength, but use the spiritual armor God has given you to fight the spiritual battle you're in with God's truth with right living and peace, walking by the faith in your salvation and growing in the word of God and praying, praying and, and really praying to help you be alert. Pray for yourselves and for me. Remember, I'm in prison here. Pray that I'd be able to be bold and share Christ. 
grace, peace, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Aside from this very last one or two paragraphs here, all of this precedes, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. In other words, husbands and wives and parents, live with yourselves and your spouses and your family, especially your children, in such a way that you model God's love, as we've seen through everything I wrote earlier in this letter, Paul wrote earlier in this letter. There's three types of discipleship and training. I said last week in my message, I mean, I repeated it over and over, model, teach, train, model, teach, train. When we say model, it doesn't mean it's, excuse me, it doesn't mean it's perfect. We know this. But is there anything in your life that you are trying to have your kids live out that you yourself will not live out? That you yourself will not model or are not modeling? If you're not modeling it, it doesn't mean you have to model it for two years before you're able to teach your kids. But it gives you humility to go to your kids and say, you know what, we really need to spend time in the Word together. Or or we each need to spend you know, 10, 15 minutes in the Word of God every day. And I'll be honest with you, I haven't been doing a great job at it, but let's just start today. Let's just open our Bibles, let's read this together, and let's pray together. I mean, it's that, it really is that simple. And then you keep modeling it. So you model it for them. This is, <clears throat> if we think of three types of discipleship, uh, it's modeling, teaching, and training, or exemplary, living by example, Teaching or instruction, which Paul says explicitly here, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. The reason I read all of Ephesians or summarized Ephesians like that is because the Apostle Paul is modeling it and giving the rich theological truth for it. So we see modeling here in this context as God's loved children, dearly loved children, Follow your heavenly Father and walk in love. Walk in love as God defines it. Singing, serving, reading, praying, repenting. In all of these ways and more, model it. Secondly, teach it. It's literally, the Greek word that just communicates this idea of put it to mind. So we, we help someone understand cognitively or in their mind what the Bible says about how we're supposed to live. Teach it to them. It also includes a connotation of correction. This is formative discipleship. So there's exemplary discipleship. There's formative discipleship or teaching, which means that we're connecting every aspect of life to a biblical worldview. The activities you, your family gives yourself to, the TV shows that you watch or don't watch, the movies you watch or don't watch, the music you watch or don't uh, listen to or don't listen to, the, the, uh, the, where, your, where your expenditures go to, where your time largely goes to, we want to sh- filter all of these things through the Word of God. This is why I'm really holding off on lists. We get into trouble when we make a whole bunch of lists. 
Because then I want you to do my list, and then you want me to do your list, and it just goes downhill from there. It's not about a formula. It's not about a list. If the Bible gives a list, fine. But we want to be forming and shaping their character in Christ before they ever make a profession of faith. Because what we recognize is we want them to see God's love received by us in such a way that it changes our life and causes us to love them differently. We want that to form and shape their hearts. We're going after their heart, not, not a baptism alone, not a profession of faith alone, not a prayer alone. Because I will tell you, parents, if sometimes I talk with parents about baptism and where their child is at with the Lord, and it's almost like once a child prays the prayer, or once a child gets baptized, it can be sort of like this. But you can pray a prayer and go to hell. You can get baptized and go to hell because it wasn't genuine. Your heart was not transformed. So we need to be careful. If your children have made a profession of faith, praise God. Now teach them, shape them in such a way that's consistent with their own profession of faith. If your child says, I love Jesus, help them learn to love Jesus consistently. Model it for them. Be formative in the way that you Make decisions as a family, filtering everything through this biblical worldview. Why? So they're learning that being a follower of Christ really means something. It's not just something I said or did. It affects all of life. Worship with your family at home. How formative would that be? Uh, Rob Reno, a, a pastor in the Chicago area, tells the story of... Um, they uh, they had a they they, they uh, he teaches a lot on family worship and and so they actually stopped calling their living room a living room and they called it their family worship room. So as their kids grew up, they never really heard of a living room. All they heard about was the family worship room. And so he said this really stuck in sunk into me one day when we were moving and we were looking for a house. And he says. Uh, the kids ran ahead, and we were kind of stayed back, and we we're talking to the realtor, and and uh, and they're inside, da da da, this and that, and they they come back out, and one of the kids runs out and goes, "Dad, Dad, I found our family worship room." That's formative. That's instructive. When we help shape our lives, kids around a biblical worldview, they grow up knowing a biblical worldview. Learning how to make it their own in their own context. Let them learn how to do it with you. Teach them how to lead in it. The book of Proverbs speaks of all of these kinds of things. It's not just about factual information, but about right attitudes and principles of behavior. So the key to right discipline, right instruction, is, is that it's of the Lord. Taking our cue from Scripture, following Christ's example. 
The third kind is training or discipline or corrective. Model, teach, train. Model, teach, train. It's disciplined training in righteousness. We think of the word discipline as negative, but it's actually very positive. Discipline is correction in such a way that it says, don't live this way, but live this way. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Don't live this way, but live this way. Bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Parents, our, our goal for our children has to be much higher than they grow up as responsible kids, responsible adults who contribute to the society and they go to church. That can't be it. Because then all they learn is to go to church. Well, this doesn't feel like a great Christian life. Well, that's because that's not really what the Christian life is, just going to church. Proverbs 13.24 says, well, Proverbs 22.6 says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, that sounds like an unfailing promise, but Proverbs is general principles. In, in other words, another way of saying that would be something like, uh, train up a child according to his way. In other words, as their children, teach them how to drink spiritual milk as a child. Learn your child. Get to know your child. You could apply this in a kind of a plurality and as individuallys. It's really speaking to the plurality. In other words, as children grow and learn, teach them in the ways of the Lord. And like an arrow for the Lord, shoot them off in the right direction. You could go individually as kind of like an application, secondary application to that passage and say, you know what, now I'm, I really know my kids, so I'm going to be a little bit more individual as I teach them what it means for them to follow the Lord. I know their proclivity toward this kind of sin, so I want to be sure that I help shape them to run from this sin by repenting first. See, it's never just about the behavior Right? So let's think about some principles for discipline here. Oh, I skipped one passage that I need to read. Proverbs 13, 24, as we move into thinking about discipline. Whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. There's a documentary series out right now called Shining Happy People. And unfortunately, I'm not going to say much about it, and I'm not going to say as much as you want me to, but unfortunately, many people are wrongly controlling of the way their children live to suit their own needs. At times, it starts out well-motivated, but then it can shift to a different idol. Because every one of us in this room has different idols, things that we worship and serve and love more than being fully devoted to the Lord. So there are some good things, sad things, that that documentary reveals. But if you watch it, don't, be, don't close your eyes to the agenda of the producers. There's a very anti-Christian agenda, even if some of what is being revealed is truthful and sad. 
because someone has done something that looks like the way the Lord has ordered it and done it poorly does not nullify God's design and God's plan. We just need to be ever mindful that our hearts are continually knit to the Lord so that when we stray off course, and we will, the Lord in His kindness quickly restores us, quickly rebukes us and changes us. But we're listening to the Lord, modeling for our kids what it's like to have a, a, have a heart, a spirit that's sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Because we can quench the Spirit by repeatedly disobeying. And we don't want to do that. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. I mean, this is talking about discipline that is like a, you might call it a spanking, you might have different language for it, but it's not ever, it's not punishment. Punishment is punitive where it just seeks to exact pain and payback. Discipline is teaching. And at times brings slight, controlled, moderated pain. You might think of like a sting. And there's an entire movement of people, even among Christians, that says, oh, I don't believe in spanking my kids. Well, the Bible says we can't spare the rod. It's a part of it. Timeouts alone don't cut it. Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go through a list. Here it is. Here's a list of disciplining your children. You might think of it as a, a pattern, but here's the thing. It's not perfect. It's not complete. It's trying to bring everything we've talked about in the last few weeks together in such a way that helps us walk away from here today with some principles that might help you. You might word something different in here. That's fine. First thing is to check your own heart. Right? See to it that you're not provoking your child to anger even as you seek to bring correction in their life. Right? There's a difference between your child becoming angry and you provoking their anger. There are many times we correct our children and they're angry. And I, I haven't provoked them to anger. Now there's times I have. But there are plenty of times they're not getting their way and they're mad that I'm calling them on the mat for it. That's between them and the Lord. My, my goal there is just to help them see how angry they are. And as I begin to lovingly try to probe their heart, try to help them understand why they're angry. See, it's sort of like pastor dad is shepherding the heart of your child. So check your own heart. I've heard some people say, don't ever discipline your kids when you're angry. I actually don't agree with that. Now, if you can't control your anger, wait. But if you're angry, if you're angry in a godly way over what God would be angry about, be angry and do not sin and worship God by disciplining your child in love. Right? Give clear instructions beforehand. If your children are doing something that's wrong, but they don't understand what you've asked them to do, well, that's frustrating. That's exasperating. That might provoke them to anger. So be clear in your instruction. If you realize that they're not understanding what it was, give a warning. 
But the more warnings you give, the more you teach your children to whine and complain and manipulate you. And in fact, at times I've told my kids, if I give in to you now, and honestly, I kind of really want to, because it'd just be a whole lot easier. Then I'm teaching you that whining works. And I can't do that. Not because it's hard for me, but because the Lord says that would not be me teaching you the right way to live. Teach them scripture about discipline. In other words, share your own struggles with your own obedience before the Lord. Parents, when you, when you, when you uh, act like you, like you live more put together than the way your children are living, you don't show them a true biblical worldview. In other words, in your pride, you're telling them, act like me, not follow Jesus. And parents, as we discipline our children, we want our message to be, follow Jesus, who gave his life for me, your dad, a sinner. Like he gave his life for you. And in doing that, don't ever just help your kids see that the action of trying to do the right things is, that what, is, is what brings them to the Lord. Help them to see. Oh, your heart is overcome with anger right now. And actually, you can't change that on your own. You need the Holy Spirit to live in you. You need to repent of your pride. And believe the gospel that Jesus died on the cross to pay the penalty for this anger. And then God will give you the Spirit, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, to help you learn to live this way. Teach them 1 John 1 9. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Number four, always discipline your child. Uh, alone, especially when using corporal punishment. And here's why I say this. The goal is not ever to embarrass your kids. That would be punishment. They embarrass me, so they deserve to get embarrassed. It's not the goal. I, I put the word always in front of that, and I should actually not use the word always discipline your children alone. If it's corporal punishment, if you're spanking them or something like that, yes, alone. Sometimes there's discipline that doesn't involve using the rod to discipline them. And sometimes that's, you know, your family's around or whatever the case might be. But use wisdom, right? Make sure your, your child knows what they've done wrong and what is right. If all you do is help them see what's wrong, they don't know, have the right target. They don't know the right path to walk on. Help them see what's wrong and help them see what is right. Like the Apostle Paul said in Ephesians, put off the old self. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self. But more than just a principle, even the Apostle Paul gets very specific in that. In chapters 4 and 5 and in Colossians. Demonstrate to your child, number 6, that you fear the Lord. You ready for this? This is a big one, parents. Demonstrate to your child that you fear the Lord more than you fear the approval of your child or the approval of the world or others. 
In other words, you're communicating to them, I have to discipline you because I fear and honor and love the Lord. And he has told me that if I don't, I, he has to discipline me. Now, parents, listen for a minute. Sometimes kids... Hey, all the kids look up here for me for a minute. We love you guys. We love every one of you. Each and every one of you is uniquely and fearfully and wonderfully made. But sometimes you can be stinkers. And someone told me once, parent your child in the fear of the Lord when they're two, three, and four. Because that's really when you're parenting your teenager. Parents, when, you're, when your kids have learned how to manipulate you, it's hard, but you really have to put your foot down. In the right times, not just for payback, but out of love. Because God, through Jesus, has made people who don't normally work well together be able to work well together for the sake of his kingdom. And you need your kids to know, I love you but I love the Lord more. And in doing that, you'll form and shape their heart as you model for them simultaneously what it's like to fear the Lord. Two more quick things. Number one, set their expectations. If you need to discipline them, help them understand what it is. Don't leave it open-ended. If you need to give them some controlled, loving moderate swats in love tell them i'm going to give you four swats why well they can kind of gird up for it number two they know what to expect and they know when dad says he's going to give me four swats it's four swats you get the idea help them set their expectation for what the discipline will look like so they know it's planned so they know, they know you're operating in love and that you're living under the control of the Spirit, even in your discipline. Because this is not punishment, it's teaching and training. And comfort them afterward. Now, I want to say you can't force them to be comforted. But comfort them afterward. I've said this before, but one of the things that we used to do is um, we had a mirror on our door and uh, in our in our bathroom, and it was a you know, a, a taller mirror. And so I would have my kids walk toward that mirror and I would say, when you continue to disobey mom and dad, what you're doing is you're just, you're walking toward yourself. In other words, you're saying, I'm going to walk my way. I'm going to live according to the way that I want to live. But God teaches us that we need to turn away from walking toward ourselves, our own desires and walk away from them. And he is on the other side over here. So turn away from yourself and your own desires and walk toward the Lord. And as you grow up, we'll learn to even help each other do that. Comfort them. Tell them you love them. Don't ever assume. Oh, they know I love them. How do you know? Well, my family didn't grow up saying it. Too bad. We're learning new ways of living learning how to live in the light.
I want to close with this passage. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom a father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you're an illegitimate child and not a son. In other words, parents, if you don't discipline your children, you are showing them that they don't have anyone over them to charge and to challenge them in love. A father disciplines his son. We've all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but the Lord disciplines for us, us for our good, that we might share in his holiness. For the moment, and kids, I want you to listen for this. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness for everyone who's been trained by it. Model, teach, train. Model, teach, train. Model, teach, train.